Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh and very, very pleased to be with you here on the Friday before Christmas. Now, I realize if you look at the calendar, you'll see that this is technically not officially the Friday before Christmas. It's the Friday before Christmas Eve. Eve. <laughs> but we still have good news to share with you. And for all intents and purposes, uh, after this weekend, people go into holiday mode, they go into travel mode, they you know do whatever they do. And please know that we will be here. We will, here at the Bottom Line Show are here Monday through Friday, bringing you new material, uh, new in interviews, new studies, new whatever. And occasionally we drop in a best of, and it's been interesting to hear how many people have, you know, will take something, maybe one of our best of broadcasts from 2022, and you might not have heard it the first time it aired, and we'll rebroadcast it, and people will write and say, hey, that's fantastic, I, I hadn't heard that before. So you will hear uh, something old, something new <laughs> over the next couple of weeks during the uh, the holiday season, but I thank everybody who has been listening to us so faithfully, and a lot of new listeners coming our way, especially with the giveaways and uh, and people calling in for books and things like that. We have another Good News Friday giveaway to give away today, and boy, it's a good one. I mean, <laughs> I know I always say that. I get very excitable about these things, but more and more people are diving into the real meaning of Christmas as opposed to the this is what I always celebrated meaning of Christmas or this is the, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, Christmas is a very sentimental time. And the fact that there are a lot of people who are kind of hurting right now and kind of struggling and, and might not be you know feeling like in the most jovial of moods to celebrate the Christmas holiday, um, I think it's, it's driving a lot of people to do things differently. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, I, I like to see the traditions, obviously. And I think in a culture, you know, like we're earlier this week, we have the president redefining marriage on a federal level. By the way, I should point out that when the Obergefell decision was passed by the Supreme Court in 2015, this decision to, you know, recognize, quote unquote, same-sex marriage in the culture was not federal law. And what the Congress did with the, uh, the, the uh, what do they call it? The, I, I want to keep calling it the Disrespect for Marriage Act, but the Respect for Marriage Act is what the official title is. Um, that codifies it into law, but it's changeable. Because remember, what this does is it basically overturns Bill Clinton's Respect for Marriage Act, or excuse me, not Respect for Marriage Act, but in 1993, um, the Defense of Marriage Act. And it's so interesting to see how this has transpired because, I mean, I realize we're talking good news on the Good News Friday side of the equation, but it's, it's really interesting to me to see how um, the culture has changed so much over the past three decades. In 1993, then-Democrat President Bill Clinton, facing a huge challenge from Republicans and wanting to reach across the aisle and do something that was, you know, the will of the people, signed the Defense of Marriage Act that basically established marriage as between a man and a woman. Fast forward 30 years later, and Democrat President Joe Biden, in a lame duck session of Congress, where traditionally you don't typically run anything through, but they're running this one through, pass a measure that for all intents and purposes doesn't really change Obergefell. It doesn't grant any new rights or privileges. It basically just says on a federal level, keep respecting the things that have already passed. So the, the question is, well, why would the church have anything to be concerned about? 
Well, the reality, though, is in doing so, it does put the church on notice that someone might take the Disrespect for Marriage Act and try to weaponize this now to say you can't criticize, you can't speak against, and we know what the, the, the mission of the left is. Progressives will tell you it's all about acceptance, it's all about tolerance, it's all about uh, welcoming people, but the reality is now they've gotten so many victories in court, their new mantra is you will celebrate, you will celebrate, you will celebrate, even if it means you have to deny your own deeply and sincerely held religious beliefs to do so. And that's where the challenge is. This could be potentially, you know, the old expression, the camel's nose under the tent with regard to whether or not a place like California, for example, would say, well, now, wait a minute. Respect for Marriage Act says that, you know, you have to celebrate all marriages, you know, the, the president. The fact that, man, how, wouldn't you love to have a gig like this where you could say, hey, you know, people just want to love who they want to love, and this allows them to do that, and no one gets in each other's way, no one's going to get hurt, and, and, and he either does not know what's going on behind the scenes or he does not care. All he has to do is get up there and say, you got nothing to worry about. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. And you and I both know that's not going to happen. You know, in the same way that when Obergefell passes, well, nothing's going to, there's not going to be any changes. Look at all the transgender ideology that is, that's been foisted upon the American people over the last seven years. Don't believe for a minute that this is, not going to impact people. Now, why do I say that? I bring that up. Here we are. It's Good News Friday, and I'm going to rant about the Respect for Marriage Act or the Disrespect for Marriage Act. I know we just talked about it on uh, NCR yesterday. The reason I bring that up is in the middle of all that, we see the good news of the gospel presented as far as the uh, uh, the, the, the the culture understanding what Jesus did to overturn the culture. If you can imagine the birth of Jesus literally turning Roman and Jewish culture on its head, really just literally pushing it in a way that that culture did not want to understand. If you can get the gravity of what's happening in our culture right now in terms of the anti-biblical movement, the legislation in the United States of all places, we expect this in places like Amsterdam, but not in the U.S., but in the same way that we are experiencing this cultural shift and saying, wow, this is crazy, it doesn't make any sense. Imagine what it was like for the first century Christians who were up against a culture that was so passionately opposed to everything that Jesus taught. The difference, of course, is the fact that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And people turning away from uh, idol worship and Greek gods and things of that nature and even to the Torah obedience of the Jews, to this new way of living, this new covenant, that all is ushered in with the birth of Christ on Christmas Day, now you kind of get a feeling, if for no other reason, as to why ushering in something new isn't such a bad idea around Christmas time. And so toward that end, hey, by the way, remember what happened a couple of years ago, March of 2020, when we found out there was a pandemic of COVID-19? And all of a sudden, flu disappeared for a couple of years. Well, the truth of the matter is, talk to any medical professional, they'll tell you. When you test positive for the flu, test positive for COVID, the test results look pretty similar. And there was such a big concern over whether or not COVID would overtake everything that it seemed like all of a sudden the flu just kind of disappeared. <laughs> well, good news, and this is kind of the irony of the way things have changed. San Diego County is offering free flu tests 
but they're doing so at select COVID-19 testing sites. So <laughs> go figure. Uh, anyway, I just I, I wanted to share that with you as a public service here at Christmas time, just to show you that the more things change, the more they stay the same. The real issue is what is your focus and why is it that uh, we are reluctant to change certain areas when we need to in other places where we don't need to change, we wind up changing. Well, there's a brand new book out. Uh, Lisa Morgan uh, with Discover the Word Ministries, former president, she's kind of CEO emerita of uh, Mops International. She was big uh, leader in the Mothers of Preschoolers movement. She's written a book taking a look at the changes that happen when people and shepherds had angelic encounters leading up to the birth of Christ. Her brand new book is called Christmas Changes Everything, How the Birth of Jesus Brings Hope to the World. And may the changes that we're experiencing right now drive us to the manger yet again to experience that hope and that good news. Amen and amen. Um, Elisa Morgan's conversation with me in just a moment is going to be one that I think will be a game changer for you. And I say that because I'm counting on the fact that you'll want this book not just because you want to add it to your Christmas decorations and even your holiday traditions, but rather this is a book that really did change the way I look at Christmas and I know it's going to be a benefit to you as well. Elisa Morgan, Christmas Changes Everything. We'll start that conversation coming up next as the bottom line continues. When you're injured in an accident, you just want to be treated like a human being. But when you are denied what you need to make a quick and full recovery, it can feel dehumanizing. Stephanie Cover puts her client's total healing first, and that means fighting for a settlement that respects you as a human being. The insurance companies don't necessarily care about why you need a settlement, but they know that it means they will lose money. Stephanie will stand up for a dollar amount that values your life and the full process of your complete restoration. Even when the insurance companies are doing their best not to pay you, you have a leg up because Stephanie Cover used to work for those same insurance companies. Getting you well-positioned for your full physical, financial, and spiritual recovery is Stephanie's goal in working with you. Save her number now or call 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Then fill out a contact form at kbrightradio.com slash coverlaw. Stephanie Cover, she knows the other side. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to get all Christmassy here about a, with a brand new book that is, I think, one of the most encouraging things I've read during the Christmas season so far. It's called Christmas Changes Everything, How the Birth of Jesus Brings Hope to the World. The author is a uh, just a spectacular personality, someone who's been uh, serving in ministry for many, many years, Elisa Morgan, who has been named one of, by Christianity Today as one of the top 50 women influencing today's church and culture, the author of more than 25 books. Uh, served as CEO of Mops International, and now as President Emeritus, or Emerita, excuse me. Um, she writes for our Daily Bread, co-host Discover the Word, radio podcast, and is the author of this brand new book. Elisa Morgan, welcome to the Bottom Line Show today. Yay, so glad to be here. We had this little nugget, Christmas changes, everything to share with the world. And I'm glad you said it was an encouraging book, because that's whole, the whole goal. It's, it is yeah. really encouraging. Yeah, we'll talk about this. Why, why? I mean, there are so many things about Christmas that we take for granted. So many things that we have a tendency to kind of rush through, just trying to get to everything that we think we need to do for Christmas. Why was it so important for you to to tell us this story as a reminder, uh, just, you know, especially now here in 2022? Right. Well, what I did is I went diving into what I call the nine, nine characters in the Christmas story that had a divine encounter 
with Jesus, the baby or the young child and how they were changed by that encounter. And, and, you know, for me, I was changed when Christmas truly became Christmas. And I've always loved it as a kid, but when it took on the meaning that it really has, that, that God gave his son for us to, to walk this planet, you know, to be born in a woman's womb and have real human feet and hands. I mean, wow. But Christmas actually became Christmas when Easter became Easter. And I understood mm. the significance of Jesus, not only coming, but then dying on the cross for me, for you, for all of us. And, and so when you look at, oh, okay, I, I, I get that. I get how it's changed me. But then you go back and look at the nine, Mary, Joseph, you can go through the whole list here, Zechariah, Elizabeth, the shepherd, the magi, et cetera. And you look at how each of them were changed by their encounter with Christ. It, it's staggering. And each one of them was uniquely changed. And if God could change them in that way, maybe we too could be changed in the way they mm. were changed. I love that. Elisa Morgan is with me today here on The Bottom Line, and her book is called Christmas Changes Everything, How the Birth of Jesus Brings Hope to the World, and we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Oftentimes, when we think about those angelic encounters, I, I didn't want to be sarcastic in saying this, but I think some of our listeners might have thought, well, you talk about the nine different encounters, so that means there's Mary, Joseph, and there must have been seven shepherds. You know, I mean, that's pretty, <laughs> much, that's pretty much it, right? That's but I, I love the fact that you include Zechariah, that you include Elizabeth. I mean, Elizabeth's story especially seems to be resonating with a lot of people now as we've had more conversations in the culture about the sanctity of human life and how, quote unquote, human is a baby, you know, during the gestational period. And, and there's some very powerful promises that come out in that story. Talk about why that we, we really do learn to rejoice in the Christ child the way God wants us to when we take a look at her encounter. You know, Elizabeth's story is tied to Mary's, and I love it. Um, you know, the angel comes to Mary and says, you're going to, even as a virgin, a very young, like 13-year-old-ish virgin who was betrothed but not married, you're going to bear the Messiah. And Mary is so confused as to how that could happen. Right. But the angel says, by the way, your relative Elizabeth, who's way beyond child-rearing years or child-bearing <laughs> years, you yeah. know, she's pregnant. She's in her sixth month. And it, he, he, like, compares him and says, what seems to be impossible for us is possible with God. Yeah. And Elizabeth, you know, being childless in New Testament times was a huge rejection. You know, you just had a ton of shame around a woman and scripture makes it clear it was her fault. And, you know, Zechariah didn't believe that God could do this. Elizabeth did. And the word that I use with Elizabeth is rejoice because she watched God do what seemed to be impossible. And then she and Mary shared this kind of mentoring tutelage to each other of how to get through an unexpected expectancy. You know, it's interesting as we think about the different attributes, and I appreciate how you've kind of laid this out for us, Elisa Morgan, in terms of what we can learn from each story and what each of these characters tells us and how God uses each of them. Uh, it, it is, it's pretty amazing to think that there are a lot of us, I think, who have kind of, you know, we, we rejoice when it's time to rejoice. We believe when, you know, someone confronts us with the scripture, but these attributes are things that we should be carrying with us. I mean, they're the hallmarks of the Christian faith, and we see them played out so uh, so passionately here. What what has been the initial reaction to this book from people who've read it and said, oh my goodness, I didn't think I would see myself in that story, for example? Yeah, you know, I think it's a paradigm pop, if you will. You know, we look at the Christmas story, like you just said, Mary Joseph and Seven Shepherds, and we think, <laughs> wow, you know, I get it. But when you dive into these human beings who have an, a divine encounter and you see the stunning change, I, I mean, the Magi were so curious about celestial beings that they went after the star. They end up finding not just light, 
but the source of light. And they bowed down and worshiped the child. That's drastic. That's amazing. And their word is worship. They were really changed. Actually, their word was seek. And they really found what they were seeking for. Or Simeon or Anna, uh, those who were in the, the temple themselves. Simeon was a prophet. Anna was a prophetess. You know, they Simeon had been promised that he would see the Messiah before he died. Sure enough, in that exact moment, which God alone knew, <laughs> things were timed in such a way. And Simeon, who waited his whole life, was fulfilled. Now, who doesn't relate to that? Right. Waiting your whole life for something. And even Herod. Herod is humbling when you really look at his story. He was, yeah, crazy. He was deranged. I mean, he killed his family, et cetera. And he thought he was like, you know, king of the Jews himself. But Herod rejected Christmas. Herod refused to learn from Christmas. He was so threatened by the possibility of God that he tried to kill every single little baby boy, two years mm -hmm. and under he did, there were about 20, I guess, that he killed. And the word for Herod is learn. You know, I'm still learning, and I'm sure you guys are too. I'm still learning. Every year I come to Christmas going, I think I know how I'm supposed to worship and what God's doing in my life, and I'm humbled to recognize I got to pay attention because he's about he's up to stuff that I can never anticipate, and I don't want to miss what he's doing. Alisa Morgan is my guest today here on The Bottom Line with a great exhortation for us today about Christmas from her brand new book called Christmas Changes Everything, How the Birth of Jesus Brings Hope to the World. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. I'm curious about the subtitle, Alisa, because my thought was, well, okay, it's joy to the world, the Lord has come, right? You chose hope, or maybe your publisher chose hope. I just want to be fair, because I know sometimes authors don't get to pick titles and pick <laughs> subtitles. But talk about that difference, because we, we it's easy to get joy-filled around Christmas time if you're getting good presents, if you got good family, if you got good food, if your church is awesome. You know, that that you could put things aside for a little while. But hope seems to have a little more shelf life to it, doesn't it? I think it does. And, you know, joy is a, a fruit of the spirit. It's the real deal. It's not based on circumstances when it's really sure. based in God. But hope is something we need on a daily basis to simply get up and go through the, the motions of the day with meaning. Hope, we live in a broken world. We live in a world that is so scarred up and fractured and, you know, cracked in a million pieces by life, by disease, by, you know, stunning bad mistakes. And we need hope. You know, if we're left to ourselves, it's kind of a depressing life. But God came to give us release and restoration and redemption from ourselves. And that's hope. That's hope for now. And that's hope for the hereafter. Boy, that is that uh, someone needed to hear that. I mean, definitely needed to hear that because there are many who are approaching this holiday season. And this is, I mean, we, we look at the manger. We, we look at the birth of Jesus. We, we've seen the pageants. Uh, and, and they're cute. I mean, especially the preschool and, you know, elementary school ones, they're, they're, those little kids singing their hearts out, whether they can carry a tune or not, that's immaterial. Exactly. But once you get past the cultural stuff and once you get past the, even some of the relational stuff, this is a season of loneliness for a lot of people. It's a, it's a season and maybe even division. I, my heart breaks for the families who won't be getting together this year, either because the miles just don't allow it or Maybe there's some philosophical differences too. Talk about how this hope and how Christmas changes everything can be used as a catalyst for maybe bringing about some healing in a family where there's a little division. You know, I, I've got to go to the story of Joseph. I mean, here Joseph wakes up one day and he's looking at his future as bright and hopeful and shiny. You know, he's engaged, mm -hmm. betrothed to a wonderful young woman who is a devout Jewess, you know, who is faithful and lovely. 
and he finds out that she's with child, he knows he hasn't been in relationship with her that way. He can only wonder if she's been unfaithful to him, which is so hard for him to comprehend. Right. And in that moment, you know, if I really think about Joseph, I think all of his dreams fell and broke. Mm -hmm. Just a shattered man, you know, in one moment, looking at the rest of his life with great excitement and the next one going, what do I do with this? I love how scripture describes him as considering what to do, as thinking carefully what to do, because he's also devout. He doesn't want to disobey the law, which would cause Mary to be stoned to death, but he also wants to honor Mary. And he, he, he waits until he can come up with a solution. And the angel comes to him and says, go ahead and marry her. And, you know, he made this decision to divorce her quietly, but the angel says, no, go ahead and marry her. Don't have relations with her until the child is born, name him Jesus. And so Joseph goes to bed that night with this amazing message, beginning to understand that he's going to be the stepfather to the son of God. I guess what I look at Joseph is I think the rearrangement of our dreams is something our God has his hands on. I've been in Christmases where a child didn't show up, an adult child didn't show up, or when I was waiting for babies through adoption and four years goes by, or when I received a diagnosis that my mom had terminal cancer, on and on. We have those times because Christmas isn't this magical potion that changes everything. It's the birth of a savior. It brings hope and redemption and restoration to our broken world and our broken feelings and our broken homes. So that's where the real hope comes from. And that's what changes everything. Lisa Morgan, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Christmas Changes Everything, How the Birth of Jesus Brings Hope to the World. Highly recommend this book. Perfect in time for Christmas. And you can still go to thebottomlineshow.com. We'll have a link up there where you can order a copy of the book if you'd like to get it before the 25th. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, let's uh, dig into what we can take from these lessons and these examples, uh, specifically starting with the ones who were given the command to go and share the good news of this gospel message uh, with everyone, even though they knew that just about nobody wanted to hear what they had to say. More of my conversation with Elisa Morgan in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Call Dennis Wilson and his team today. Wilson Financial Services, honoring God and their clients by stewarding their money well. 800-696-9970. Just reviewed a client who put money into 3D alternative versus leaving it in a bank. The results are in and they're fun. It's a fun report. Bank Zero, God's Kingdom, two churches in Africa. I often wonder why God's people don't do a better job with stewarding God's money. And I personally think one of them is that they've never been told how or why they should be doing it. Maybe they never heard it's God's money and we're only to be the good stewards of it. But just for fun, this turned out Bank Zero, God's Kingdom, two churches in Africa. This isn't your money. This is God's money. And we want to show you how to be the best possible steward you can be. Wilson Financial Services, 800-696-9970. Or fill out the contact form at kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Elisa Morgan is my guest, and we're talking about her brand new book called Christmas Changes Everything. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Great subtitle on this one, too. How the Birth of Jesus Brings Hope to the World. It's a study of the nine characters who encountered, or the nine uh, characters and or people groups who encountered Jesus or encountered an angelic uh, uh, presentation that actually led them to the uh, the manger and led them to uh, witness the birth of our Lord. Now, do you know who they are? 
by the way, the book is up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we will be giving away not one but two copies of this book. So if you want to get your name in the drawing for that right now, give Crystal a call, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. One more time slowly, 800 227 5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line show. Okay, who are the nine people? Well, you know, Mary and Joseph obviously had an encounter with the angel Gabriel. And then if you dig a little deeper, you find that Mary's cousin Elizabeth and her husband Zechariah also had an encounter with an angel. Okay, so that's now we're up to four. Uh, who else had an encounter with the angel? Uh, the wise men, right? That's five. Uh, Herod actually had an angelic encounter as well. That's six. Uh, the shepherds, that's seven. And you heard me teasing Elisa in a previous segment. I said a lot of people go, well, Mary and Joseph and seven shepherds, and that did it. Don't forget also, too, that there's Simeon and Anna at the temple when Jesus was presented for the presentation. So Mary, Joseph, Zechariah, Elizabeth, the shepherds, Simeon, Anna, the Magi, and Herod. Okay, those are, the, those are the nine. And you learn so many different things from each of their encounters with the angels that you'll be singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Mary teaches us how to accept the good news of the gospel. And the beautiful thing about this, Luke tells us in Luke chapter one, that the Holy Spirit overshadowed her when the angel Gabriel shared the good news with her. It was, people would like to think about Mary being so brave and you know, kind of being out there for young women, but the reality is she didn't ask the question like, how can this be? Like, hey, wait a minute, I gotta go to high school. It was, how can this be? As in, I'm a virgin. She was already on board. Joseph had to yield, had to set aside. There were things that Joseph could have done legally, and this is kind of a foreshadowing of how the gospel overtakes the law. If Joseph had followed the law of the land, he would have divorced Mary. He was going to be a good guy and do it privately and quietly so no one would know what was going on. But instead, Gabriel said, you have one job. Don't divorce her and name the child Jesus. And he did it. What about those shepherds, though? Why did the shepherds get the message that they did the way they did? And wouldn't it be easier to just have somebody else give that message. Well, I'm going to ask Elisa Morgan that question on the other side of this break. We're giving away two copies of Christmas Changes Everything, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, uh, Elisa Morgan continues her conversation with me about how Christmas changes everything and brings us hope. It's coming up next as the bottom line continues. Bless your children with the help you've always wanted to give them. Newport Bay Mortgage works with your unique circumstances to explain the benefits of a reverse mortgage in today's market. Act now and provide for your family in need by gifting them a fraction of the fruits of your labor. With Newport Bay Mortgage, you can clarify the advantages of a reverse mortgage in your specific situation with professional insights on the current market. Sharing the rewards of a reverse mortgage is a valuable act of service that helps your loved ones establish valuable financial security for the future. Use the gift from your home to contribute towards God's work and plans by blessing your family in need with real financial help. Make up your mind today to make a difference in the lives of those who mean the most to you. Start by calling Newport Bay Mortgage at 714-741-8080. 
714-741-8080. Visit kbrightradio.com slash reverse or NMLS 332959. Newport Bay Mortgage is an equal opportunity housing lender. Alisa Morgan is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Brand new book of hers is up at thebottomlineshow.com called Christmas Changes Everything, How the Birth of Jesus Brings Hope to the World. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Um, for, there are so many different starting points, Alisa, for our listeners to have experienced you in your ministry. I remember first hearing your name when I, my kids were in preschool, and so, of course, that was the, the mops season. Past mm-hmm. eight years, you've been one of the co-hosts on Discover the Word, which is one of the, I mean, I remember the, the old radio Bible class days. That that right. sounds like it's a ton of fun to do. And I, and I understand that you're having a new project that's just now launching as well, a new podcast. Yes, we have a new podcast called God Hears Her with me and Aaron Eddy, who's 35 and I'm not. And we, we, we just <laughs> talk about everything that needs to be talked about. It's really fun. I love it. Well, it, good dialogue and this this whole multi-platform world is just, it's so fascinating. And yet we still like to hold bound books in our hands. And yes. I recommend holding Christmas changes everything in your hands too. How the Thanks. Birth of Jesus Brings Hope to the World by Elisa Morkin. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Elisa's taking us through it in an easy to read, easy to digest. I say that for our male listeners and viewers, because, you know, sometimes we say a book, that means 400 pages. I don't have time, <laughs> but a hundred pages I'm down for. So, I there mean, that's, go. that this is, this is way up our alley. And yet you covered nine different examples of the people who were impacted by the angels. We haven't talked about the shepherds yet outside of my quip of them being the other seven. Uh, talk about the significance of who these people were, why this good news was so important, and why would God pick them to be the first ones to share the good news? God is so counterintuitive. You know, he surprises us with who he picks. I mean, Mary was a virgin, a, a young girl. He picked her. Joseph was a carpenter, a simple man. Both of them were devout, but he picked him. The shepherds were actually in the lowest caste of society, is if you want to phrase it that way. Mm-hmm. They were like the unmentionables. They were just kind of low, low rung. And their job was to take care of sheep, probably in the fields near Jerusalem and etc. They were probably taking care of sheep that would become the sacrifices for the temple. Mm. So interesting. And boom, lo and behold, in the middle of the night, an angel appears to them. A whole host of angels appear to them saying glory to God in the highest and peace on earth and reveals to them that they're to go and find the baby Jesus, the Messiah. And they go. And, you know, you you wonder what Mary and Joseph thought with these kind of rangy guys coming in to see the baby. But, you know, some of our understanding of what the manger and the surroundings look like come more from imagination than from actual scripture. If you look at really the the way a house was uh, built in New Testament times, likely it was one big, big room with the animals brought inside into a mm-hmm. section of it. And that's where Mary and Joseph were. So they weren't like, you know, out in you know, a field all by themselves. They were cared for. But the shepherds still came to find them and went into worship. And I'm floored by how how counterintuitive that is that God picked this group. These, these, these shepherds went from watching lambs in a field who might become sacrifices to watching the lamb of God who actually did become the sacrifice for all of their sins. And then they became the first evangelists. I mean, they were told, go out and share this good news. And they went and told everybody that they knew what had happened. Now, some people didn't believe them, of course, 
but a lot of people did. And that's, you know, when, when we're asked, when we have this divine encounter ourselves with Christmas, you know, when, when we come nose to nose with the reality of who Jesus is, we want to go tell people too. And that's what, that's the, the invitation God puts in our lives as well. And gives us the perfect example. If you've ever felt like, well, no one's going to listen to me. Well, <laughs> if anybody knew that, the shepherds did. No one was good. No one would believe them. And quite frankly, because you mentioned the caste system, no one would seemingly care. But their allegiance was to the Lord. Their allegiance was to to God's command and the angels telling them go and share. And they did it. And they, that shows us an example of how we can do it, especially in a world that might be hostile to our testimony. Elisa Morgan is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Christmas Changes Everything is the new book, How the Birth of Jesus Brings Hope to the World. And there's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And Elisa, we have a couple minutes left in our conversation. You have included a 10th chapter. We mentioned that there were the nine angelic encounters. Uh, talk about what you were hoping to accomplish uh, with writing to each of us and mm -hmm. saying, hey, don't forget the stories that we have to tell as well. You know, I'm remembering how we have decorated for Christmas outside for years and years in our neighborhood. Our grandsons would help us and we would put up the Papa snowman, the Mama snowman, and the little snow dude. And, you know, I would be usually at the front door putting up the boughs and stuff. And I would always throw out like a welcome mat, a Christmas welcome mat. And I just thought about that for a long time. What would I really do if Jesus came to my front door at Christmas? Is mm. my heart welcoming him? Um, in whatever form he might come. And I actually, I did some research and in John 9, no, excuse me, it's in Mark 9, um, Jesus uses the word welcome to actually talk about how little children should be received by us and therefore how we can receive him. Yeah. And that word, you know, he says, welcome these little ones, any of you. And you, if you do, you're not only welcoming me, you're welcoming the one who sent me. Yeah. That word welcome means to invite in as a guest. And I began to think about that, you know, that's what I want my posture to be this Christmas, every Christmas, whether I'm in a place where God's inviting me to accept his work in my life or yield to it like Joseph or share like the shepherds or learn like Herod didn't, you know, whatever, am I welcoming how God wants to change me through Christmas and not just as a guest, you know, come in and sit down, but maybe as a permanent resident in my heart and a permanent resident in my life, do I, will I welcome the Christ child, God's great gift? Will I welcome him in to be a part of my life and to be my Lord and my savior? Boy, that is a powerful challenge and exhortation, if you will, from Elisa Morgan. And today here on The Bottom Line, we've been discussing her new book called Christmas Changes Everything, How the Birth of Jesus Brings Hope to the World. Elisa, we've got about a minute and a half left in our conversation. I'd love to just uh, hand the pulpit, if you will, over to you uh, for some final thoughts and observations about the, how to get the most out of the Christmas season, what we can do in these times of introspection and reflection, and uh, what your hope is for the church in the coming year. Gosh. Okay, that's a lot for a minute. I'm going to share this this word that I I bring up for the last three or four years, and it's the word learn. Mm. Um, we were sitting around our Christmas evening table after a wonderful day, and uh, we have a, a messy family like a lot of people mm. do, where people come and go, and we have to rotate and all yeah. of that. And we were celebrating Christmas on Christmas Eve, and I turned to one of my family members and I said, "I can't wait till next year when we're actually get to celebrate on Christmas," and she started crying. <laughs> I went, uh oh, and I realized how much I had held on to my view of what Christmas should be. 
And as an older person now, a grandmother, my oldest grandson is 18. I've got another grandbaby on the way, which wow. is very exciting spread. Yeah. But, you know, our, our job is really to bless the next generation, to, to have a looser grip on what Christmas looks like, to model before each other a heart that welcomes God, and then to celebrate his presence rather than saying it has to be in this day, it has to be in this way, it has to be all together. To, to relinquish it to what God wants to make it. The reality is that Christmas was birthed. It was God's idea. It was birthed by him. And he's the one who's going to birth it in each of our hearts if we allow him to do his work the way he wants to do it. So mm -hmm. I think that's what I'd say to both as families, as individuals, but also in our church and our world. Can we let God be God and trust him? that he knows what he's doing, that he is a good God who loves us desperately enough to give his own son for us. Can we let him be surprising and counterintuitive? And can we let him shape us into the people he needs us to be so that our world sees him as well? Wow, what a powerful footnote for our conversation today and, and a great reminder as we uh, take our marching orders here from Elisa Morgan, uh, moving into the the thick part of the Christmas season. The book is called Christmas Changes Everything, How the Birth of Jesus Brings Hope to the World. Highly recommend this book. Two thumbs way up uh, from someone who reads a lot. <laughs> I really appreciate this book and Elisa's testimony as well. The link is up at thebottomlineshow.com. Elisa Morgan, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year from all of us here at The Bottom Line Show. Thanks for being with us today. Merry Christmas. Delightful conversation with Elisa Morgan from Discover the Word and uh, her the new podcast as well, which she's got linked up at thebottomlineshow.com. The brand new book is called Jesus, or Christmas, Christmas Changes Everything, How the Birth of Jesus Brings Hope to the World. And we have two copies of this book to share, uh, to give away, as a matter of fact, and I can't wait to send it to you. Well, actually, Crystal and Teresa do that sending part. But you have to make a phone call first, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line show. Again, you're asking for a Lisa Morgan's book called Christmas Changes Everything, How the Birth of Jesus Brings Hope. And uh, this is a great, um, it's a great resource, uh, bringing hope to the world. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. As we continue, I want to walk through these uh, stories uh, one more time, including our story, the role that we play in this whole conversation, because this is really the essence of the good news of the gospel. Who are we and what story do we play? What role do we play in that story? More of this conversation in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Roger Marsh here. Just want to take a moment to thank you for the outstanding support that you've shown to our friends at Preborn. Up to this point, we have a remarkable report to share with you. Uh, Preborn last year placed 25 ultrasound machines in pregnancy health centers all over the country. And this year, they're going to add one more. Thanks to bottom line listeners, you have raised over $15,000 for the purpose of putting an ultrasound machine in a pregnancy health center. But there's more. You've also raised enough money to save the lives of 240 babies. That's right, their moms come into a preborn clinic. For every 100 women who come in, 83 will have an ultrasound and see the baby's image and decide, oh my gosh, that's my son, that's my daughter. They hear the heartbeat and they get excited either to become new parents or to become parents who will release those children for adoption. Your $28 donation makes this possible. A $280 donation means that 10 babies' lives are saved. $2,800 will save 100 babies. $1,400 will save 
50. Now give us a call at 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Or go to kbrightradio.com or rogermarsh.com today. You'll see a pre-born banner. Click on that banner and make your donation. It takes less than 28 seconds to make a $28 donation that will save a baby's life. Contact Preborn right now. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. My thanks again to Elisa Morgan, author of the book, Christmas Changes Everything, How the Birth of Jesus Brings Hope to the World. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we're taking your calls fast and furious. Uh, We've got two copies of this book to give away, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Elisa, in this book, outlines nine different encounters that people had with angels telling them about the birth of Christ. All of these prophecies were fulfilled. And then this is how the people responded. In Mary's case, of course, the angel Gabriel told her she would become great with child. The Holy Spirit overshadows her. She says, how can this be? I'm only a virgin. And then she sings that beautiful Magnificat at saying, this is it, I'm the Lord's handmaiden, and she is highly favored among women all throughout her uh, earthly existence. Joseph, given the same uh, message from the angel Gabriel, saying, look, Mary's pregnant, it's not your kid, but it's done by the Holy Spirit, so your job is don't divorce her, marry her, give this child a name, and give him the name of Jesus. Zechariah, I mean, this old priest, kind of the low man in the totem pole, Um, He and his wife Elizabeth are related to Mary by marriage. Elizabeth and Mary are cousins. They didn't have any kids. And Zechariah is told that he's going to be a father. And uh, when the angel confronts him with the news, he doesn't believe it right away. And remember, he's mute for quite some time. Um, Elizabeth knew she was old and that the chances of her becoming pregnant, of course, were slim and none. And then she becomes pregnant. And one of the best parts of the incarnation is when Jesus, of course, is with Mary in her womb, and Mary comes to visit Elizabeth because she knows that something's going on with Elizabeth too. Elizabeth is carrying the guy we now call John the Baptist, and John's job, his whole job, was to tell the whole world, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. First evangelist, Jesus is coming. He baptized Jews of the Jewish tradition to cleanse them of their sin, but not to forgive them. Jesus was the one who did that baptism. And John had the role of telling people Jesus was coming, baptizing Jesus, and then literally paying the ultimate price for his faith. With Jesus and Mary, Jesus and Mary's womb, uh, approach Elizabeth with John the Baptist in her womb. You know the story. John leaps for joy. We see Mary's acceptance. We see Joseph yielding. We see Zechariah finally believing when John is born. You know, he writes down his name is John and he gets his voice back. And then Elizabeth shows us rejoicing. Now the shepherds, you know, watch out watching their flocks by night. How many times do we go see that childhood pageant where the kids are out there with the fake beards and they, you know, and we kind of just don't pay attention to the shepherds. But if you consider that the shepherds in this case were the shepherds who were literally tending the flock of the sacrificial lambs for the Jewish temples. And basically what the angels were telling them, the multitude of the heavenly hosts were saying, glory to God in the highest, go to Bethlehem and see this child. And oh, by the way, in 30 years, you're out of a job. Um, because Jesus will bring in the new covenant. There will be no more ritual sacrifices. And you guys, you'll just raise lambs for somebody else. But they are the first ones to go and tell. Who in the world is going to believe these shepherds? I mean, outcasts, low of the low, constantly ceremonially unclean, didn't even have a voice in the Jewish courts. 
And God says, those are the ones I want to tell. I'm going to pick a 13, 14 year old girl to carry the, uh, the, the Christ child. I'm going to pick a bunch of shepherds to tell everybody. But then Simeon was promised that he would not leave the earth until he saw the Lord's Christ. And so he hung around the temple day and night, worshiping, praying, prophesying. Here come Mary and Joseph on the eighth day with Jesus. And Simeon takes the boy into his arms and starts to sing and says, look, this is all I've needed. My whole life is built up to this moment. And he offers a prophecy about Jesus, but then also a prophecy to Mary as well. And uh, it's not an easy one to take. In the same breath in Luke's gospel, we also see Anna, the prophetess, uh, where Simeon tells us, shows us the value of waiting patiently. Anna shows the story of, of worshiping. Remember, she was married for, what, a couple of months? I mean, maybe a few years. And then she was widowed for most of her adult life. But she is there to minister to the family and to see the Christ child. And it's her job to worship God even when she's on her own. The Magi teach us the importance of seeking God. And remember, uh, in my conversation yesterday with Raymond Arroyo, what we learned about the wise men is that the wise men initially started out, they could have very easily been seeking the son of Herod or the son of, well, not Muhammad yet, but they, were, they weren't necessarily looking for Jesus. But once they found him and they realized who it was, the importance of seeking the Lord while he may be found. And the story of Herod, too. How many Hebrew babies had to die because Herod was afraid that this new king was going to come in and overthrow him? And when you get it wrong, you have the opportunity to learn. And that is good news indeed. Uh, of course, Elisa does give us an opportunity in her book, Christmas Changes Everything, to take a look at this whole story from us. What is our job as Christians? Now, you may think, well, here's, here's what I need to do. You know, I need to work. I need to work hard. I need to work to prove to God that I am worthy. I need to pay a penance. I need to, uh, you know, show everybody that I am uh, a child of God by doing my due diligence. Well, I do believe that our faith is made real. It manifests itself in the fact that the fruits of our labors for the Lord, which are spurred on by the motivation of good works by the Holy Spirit, they're all there. You're going to see, you know, faith without deeds, James tells us, is dead. But the primary responsibility for us is take note of the situation of the Christ child. His parents were coming in for the census to register. They come to Bethlehem. And what do they do? wind up seeing they find no place for them to stay so they're kind of in a remote location oh yeah jesus was going to be born but not under cover of nothing but in wide open everything the idea how many times have you heard this you know lord jesus come into my heart there's room in my heart for you our job isn't to necessarily run after jesus and try to find him we we don't know how to do that on our own except by prompting from the holy spirit God is actively and passionately seeking us in our sinful state. But once he does find us and once we are found, our job, quite frankly, is to welcome him into our hearts. Our job is to receive the gift that he gives to us, to take that package and literally open it. As my friend, uh, brother in the Lord, Rob Warren, who's a great pastor in the Lutheran church, likes to say, it's like this. I've said it before, I'll say this again. He said, it's like this. What if I told you that bank has a million dollars in it? You'd probably go, well, of course it does. It's a bank. They need money. That's really cool. I got my account there. If I need 20 bucks for lunch, I'll maybe I'll go over there. 
Okay, now what if I told you that bank has a million dollars with your name on it in your account? All you have to do is go in and say, I want to make a withdrawal. I want, I'm him. That's me. That's my account. And they say, here you go. Think about it that way. I mean, when it comes to sin and salvation, what are we going to do with Jesus Christ? Someone offers you this gift. Are you going to put it away? Re-gift it? No, that gift is for you. But if you don't receive it and open it, you will never fully experience it. The good news of the gospel, Christmas does change everything. How the birth of Jesus brings hope to the world. The book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. Thanks again to Melissa Morgan for joining me for this conversation today. We have two different copies of this book to give away right now. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. As we continue on this Good News Friday, a really cool story about something that was seemingly destroyed and gone, and now it is thriving and active once again. And I'll give you a hint. It's a church that was knocked out by terrorists. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and we have some really good news uh, to share with you to wrap up this hour. Uh, We're still taking your calls on Lisa Morgan's book, by the way, Uh, the book called Christmas Changes Everything, How the Birth of Jesus Brings Hope to the World. We have two copies we're giving away, and we will conclude the giveaway at the top of the hour, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Remember what happened on September 11, 2001? You remember, right? <laughs> uh, boy, uh, that was the day that will live in infamy for millions of Americans, the day of the uh, 9-11 attacks, the Twin Towers going down, the attack on the Pentagon, the one plane that was headed for the White House, and the death and destruction, nearly 3,000 Americans dying on that day. It was just an awful day. Well, there was a lot of death and destruction that went around, and one of the casualties of that day was a church in New York City that was destroyed. Um, St. Nicholas Greek Orthodox Church and National Shrine was destroyed when one of the World Trade Center towers collapsed. And basically, it it was a obviously it was an emotional experience to see this. Uh, venerable institution literally get taken down by the fact that it was in the shadow of the World Trade Center. So the question was, will they ever be able to rebuild? Will they ever start again? Well, it the start to rebuild project did begin. It took many, many years for the Greek Orthodox Archdiocese of America and the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, which owns the World Trade Center, to say, okay, let's go ahead and do this. Uh, we'll build the church at Liberty Park, just south of the main trade center site. Um, there was a, uh, a long-standing legal problem um, as to where the new building would be located, but there was definitely um, you know, a, the opportunity to get this thing done. Um, construction did begin in 2014. There was a ceremonial groundbreaking, but then the archdiocese ran into some cash flow problems, and so by 2017, they wound up stalling. They had to just let it sit for three years. But in August of 2020, a group called Friends of St. Nicholas raised $45 million, and that was what they needed to finish construction. Now, wouldn't it have been great if they'd opened up on the 20th anniversary of 9-11, September 11, 2021? Uh, Well, they tried, but the construction took a little bit longer 
So instead, I mean, this is kind of cool, I think, um, instead of opening up on that 20th anniversary, they opened up on December the 6th, uh, last Tuesday. That's where they held their first service. And appropriately, the St. Nicholas Greek Orthodox Church held its first uh, service on the Feast of St. Nicholas Day. So the Feast of St. Nicholas service uh, a couple weeks ago on Tuesday uh, marks the church's return to a full liturgical and parochial life. Uh, Michael Soros is the chairman of the Friends of St. Nicholas said in a statement, this is a very emotional day for all of us and an extraordinary consequential day for New York and America. We have relit the sacred flame of faith and spirit in this place of remembrance and resilience. As a national institution, we look forward to welcoming millions of people of all faiths and all nationalities from around the world who will seek to find solace and comfort at St. Nicholas, for he truly is a protector of all those who journey through this life. I, I love the symbolism of what's happening here, and especially this time of year, the idea that this church that was literally struck down in the result, as a result of this terrorist attack uh, now has found new life. And Lord, I just pray that you would use this parish to bring people to faith. I love the fact that the, uh, the parish is asking people of all faiths to come and just visit, just to see taste and see what's going on here. See the the handiwork, the craftsmanship that rebuilt this place. But Father, I pray that your presence would be there too so that people of all faiths would see the one true faith, which is faith in Jesus Christ, that those of us by grace through faith in him experience and celebrate at Christmas. More than just the wrapping and the packages under the tree, uh, but rather the idea that we have the opportunity to to worship you and to serve you um, and that gift of salvation that you give so freely to us is the key that we need to enter into your throne room presence we ask all these things in the precious and powerful name of jesus christ our savior and lord and all god's people said amen and amen few more seconds left to get your call in for Elisa Morgan's book, Christian or Church, Christmas Changes Everything, 800-227-5278. Two copies that we're giving away, and we'll uh, be sharing the, uh, the, the spoils of that uh, later on in the broadcast. Uh, for our friends at KCBC, enjoy the rest of your weekend. We've got Rabbi Schneider, Discovering the Jewish Jesus, coming up next. For those who remain on the network, more good news, including what happens when a bunch of middle school students go out on a field trip and wind up finding a three thousand year old artifact that yet again confirms the authenticity and the accuracy of god's holy inspired word you may get tired of these stories we never do especially here on these good news friday editions of the bottom line show keep it right here bottom line continues in just a moment good news good news good news and i'm chuckling i'm Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show, or welcome to the Bottom Line Show for this Good News Friday, the 16th of December. I'm Roger Marsh, as we are seven days away from Christmas Eve Eve. And a reminder that next Friday, uh, we'll have some special Christmas programming for you here on the Bottom Line Show, since we do the uh, weekend uh, broadcasts, are just kind of uh, best of selections that we carry uh, from the programming that aired throughout the course of the week. Um, but next week, I have a homily for everyone to talk about Christmas and um, the idea that we in the body of Christ have an opportunity to share the good news, the really good news of the gospel, and we'll do so from the perspective of the shepherds. Might even use a little of Elisa Morgan's uh, book, uh, Christmas Changes Everything, uh, which we've been giving away for the past hour, two copies of that book at 800-227-5278. Uh, I have a good news story here about just, you know, the most unlikely of sources. How many times do we see these... Uh, like the Israeli Antiquities Department or some of these other groups 
that are studying the earth. And I believe that God hides or allows, I don't want to say he hides them per se, but when you think about history happening all at once, which is kind of a trip, uh, it is conceivable. You know, for our finite minds, I'm looking at my computer screen, I'm looking at the clock, I'm looking at my producer, um, thinking about the things that God has called me to share with you today here on the program. Uh, you're listening, to, you're, you're in the car, or you're wherever you are listening to the program, maybe you're listening to the download over the weekend, and you're doing your thing. But bear in mind that God is infinite. God is eternal, he is timeless. Time is for our benefit, not for his. And so the irony that someone who called in a ministry spends, I've spent the majority, majority of my adult life looking at clocks and stopwatches. I got a clock going right now. I got the second hand moving. I mean, that's just kind of the way it is. What I, but I'm fascinated with these digs, and I hope you are too. I know a lot of people visit our website at thebottomlineshow.com. Every one of the stories that we talk about here has at least one point of reference that you can find. And we do our level best. I mean, I talk about analysis, balance, and clarity all the time here on The Bottom Line Show. And part of the reason why we do is because we're really trying to help focus our attention on what, uh, you know, what the real truth is in a story, in a situation, not just the headlines. I mean, I've been fascinated, maybe you have too, with the way that Elon Musk and the whole Twitter thing is unraveling because so many people are, are seeing or beginning to see that uh, I, I, the one takeaway for me from Twitter was never much of a Twitter person. I do kind of follow it. Part of the reason I didn't do it was because it just seemed like it was left-wing propaganda. It really didn't seem like there was a lot on there that was edifying. If there were t- tweets from conservatives or Christians you know, they were on there. A lot of times it was following that pattern of here's how you win the Internet today. Go on Twitter and take somebody's tweet that you don't agree with, put some smart, snarky post and a phrase or a hashtag with it, and then hundreds of thousands of people follow what you do. I'd really rather not communicate that way. A little more direct. But I do realize that one thing I am seeing on Twitter that I, I find very encouraging that is rather disconcerting to a lot of people is different opinions, different viewpoints. And it really is amazing. I mean, especially people on the left who are looking at these conservative sites that they've never seen it before. It never occurred to them that somebody might think differently. It never occurred to them that somebody might disagree with them. You know, our Bible tells us that just as iron sharpens iron so that we in the body of Christ, when we have a disagreement or maybe a different opinion about what's in God's word, we're to come together and literally like two swords hit each other. You know, I can't make the tink, tink, tink sound. That's what we're to do. As brothers and sisters in Christ who have the sword of the spirit, shield of faith, breastplate of righteousness, and shoes of peace, and we're doing battle with each other, but we're not really doing battle to try to hurt the other person. We're keeping our reflexes sharp we're 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 keeping each other trained and and the very real the reality is that when you hit your blade against somebody else's blade the action of the blade winds up sharpening the blade so the whole idea that we're engaging in some kind of spiritual conduct or um you know conflict if you will maybe a, a battle is really first and foremost to train up each other to do real battle with the forces of evil that are in the world and so I, you know, when I see a difference of opinion, like in a social media site, I kind of welcome it 
if for no other reason than to say, okay, well, we're trying to get to the truth. That's just your opinion. What do we think here? Not that I have to try to win everything, but it, it's, it's, worth a, it's worth a read. And in the same way, I love the fact that God gives us the opportunity to do the same thing. Case in point, this is a discovery in Tel Aviv or just outside of Tel Aviv. And again, we shouldn't be surprised that so much of this is in Israeli territory because, hello, <laughs> you know, we're talking God's chosen people and their chosen land. But every time we see another one of these archaeological discoveries, we have to ask the question, did God leave this for us as some kind of uh, uh, breadcrumb, if you will? You know, it's part of a, a treasure map. Because understand, I mean, I know you know this, but it's, it's, it bears repeating. We're sitting here right now. It's a little after four o'clock Pacific time on the 16th of December, 2022 in the year of our Lord. All of history from this point in time is either past, present, or future, but it's all happening all at once. I mean, if you want to have your mind blown, think about the fact that as you, as a Christian, are offering your prayer before the Lord or acting out your faith as and acting out in faith as under the Lord. As you're doing this, gajillions of people before you and after you are also either deciding for Christ, living for the Lord, not living for the Lord or whatever. All this is happening and God hears, what does scripture tell us? God has every hair on every head numbered. So I love the connection to the past when we find something like this archeological dig just outside of Tel Aviv because we realize that this, what we're about to find is thousands of years old, and yet, for all we know, it was just buried but 3,000 years ago. You know, when you watch a movie like uh, Back to the Future. I love that kind of stuff because I'm like, well, yeah, of course. You can go from 1985 to 1955 to 1885 or 2015 or whatever. I mean, because time is, I mean, we measure time for us. God Step, I mean, literally, Jesus coming to earth is eternity stepping into time. We make a big deal out of Jesus being on the earth for 33 years. I don't think that matters to God. Jesus was here as long as he needed to be to do what he needed to do. Now, maybe there was something about him being 33 and being in fantastic physical shape so he could endure the cross. I, there, there, that's a very real possibility. But every time we see these archaeological digs, it just, it's so interesting to see, I mean, I really dig it. <laughs> How did they come into being? What all was found and what can we learn from it today? All right, here's the story. You heard me mention this before. Uh, this is a story of a group of middle school students in Israel who went out to a dig site. An they were on an archaeological tour. And one of the children who was involved in this um, found something. And so Gilad Stern of the Israeli Antiquity Educational Center, who was the student's guide, said, we were just wandering around when I saw something that looked like a small toy on the ground. I heard an inner voice say, pick it up, turn it over. So I picked it up and I was astonished. It was a scarab. A scarab, by the way, is... Uh, a work of art here that is resembles a dung beetle. It dates back to the late Bronze Age. Think uh, the time right after Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt. At the time, Egyptians ruled Canaan and were believed to hold the dung beetle in high regard. 
Now, why do you think Egyptians held the dung beetle in such high regard? Because when they were, well, I don't know how else to put it. So here's, here's your parental discretion that's advised. When they were in the process of reproducing, the dung beetle could actually create a pile of dung twice its physical size. And the reason they did was it served as an incubator for the newborns and the ones soon to be born. The Egyptians, who did not believe in the God of the Bible, felt that this action represented creation and regeneration of Creator God. It was a symbol of power and status. Dr. Amir Galoni said it may have dropped from the hands of an important figure of an authority who passed through the area or it might have been deliberately buried in the ground along with other objects so after thousands of years it would come to the surface. The flat portion of the scarab includes a figure with outstretched arms standing over another figure who is seated. Scholars believe that the standing figure is a pharaoh and the seated figure is a Canaanite. According to Dr. Galoni, quote, this scene basically reflects the geopolitical reality that prevailed in the land of Canaan during the late Bronze Age, and that would be anywhere from 1500 B.C. to 1000 B.C. That's where the local Canaanite rulers lived and sometimes rebelled under Egyptian political and cultural hegemony. Therefore, it's very possible that this seal is indeed from the late Bronze Age when the local Canaanites were ruled by the Egyptian Empire. Israeli Antiquities Authority Director Eli Esquedo said that the students encountering the ancient artifact, well, it's significant that they did, and also symbolic in that the students were gaining an archaeological knowledge and at the same time contributing to our archaeological heritage. The cooperation is truly moving as we are working toward connecting communities through cultural heritage. So a scarab, basically what looks like a dung beetle and has huge significance, uh, this takes us back to the land of Canaan. It's approximately, could be 3,000 years old, could be 3,500 years old. But God chose to let it be revealed to a group of middle school students in Tel Aviv. Um, all the more reason, thank you, ChristianHeadlines.com, for the article. All the more reason for us to trust that what we read in the Old as well as in the New Testament is trustworthy and faithful and true. We have a link for this article up at thebottomlineshow.com. We're going to take a quick break, and as we continue, I want to talk to you about retirement, longevity, perseverance, and obeying the calling of God in the same way that Mary was called as a young teenager. I'm going to share the story of another young teenager who answered the call of God as well and recently wrapped up a very lengthy stint of service for the kingdom. That's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive 6% CD alternative. This unique real estate-backed investment has continued to perform exceptionally well in good times and in bad. I just reviewed a client file, and it really felt bad because in reviewing the file, I realized that if they had followed the advice they had received, if they had put the money in the CD alternative, as I had recommended, they would have earned enough to build a church in Africa. Instead, the money is still in the bank, earning nothing but dust. I realized how important it is to know it's God's money and we're just a good steward of it. One simple idea on the CD alternative would build a church in Africa. 
honoring God and their clients by stewarding their money well. Call 800-696-9970. That's 800-696-9970. Or fill out the contact form at kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. I hope you have made plans to find a Christmas Eve worship service to attend. Obviously, if your church is doing one, please do that. I want to also encourage you, if you have the time, I know it's kind of a busy time, to maybe find another service, not just the one at your home church. I know it's nice to get the whole family together, sit in the pew, have church together. I'll be, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, That's been a long time coming for me. I got involved in pastoral ministry um, on the payroll about 12 years ago. I had been involved in lay ministry before that and had always found a way to participate in worship and this, that, and the other thing. Um, I took for granted for many years the fact that uh, our families didn't always get together for worship. My brother's in Oregon. My parents were either in Las Vegas area or Summerlin, actually, or San Diego. Uh, my sister went to a different church for a while. Sometimes it was just my kids and me on Christmas Eve while their mom was getting stuff ready you know, for whatever she was getting it ready for. And I, I, I was thinking about that the other day, how many of us have been involved in a long-term ministry at a certain congregation. When I started serving in a part-time capacity while I was going to seminary, uh, Christmas Eve service became part of my routine I had four services to go to so my kids would come and worship at one of them and then um, they would go on to one of their grandparents house and then on Christmas day I usually wound up preaching because we had a pretty good sized Christmas day service and I'm a single guy and then uh, grandson was born 2017 my parents had moved back up into the area and so they were close and we could all go to church together but I was still like I was preaching on Christmas Eve 2017 2018 2019 and then, you know, my health took a turn and then Lisa and I got married. We'd start doing different things. And I realized the other day, it's been a while since our whole family got to get together. Mom and dad have had some health problems and to be together on a Christmas Eve. And so it, it occurred to me that we could potentially do it, but we might have to do it at different churches if we're going to pull this thing off. So I want to encourage you. If you have a tradition and you can honor it, by all means, do so at your congregation. But if you have the opportunity to try something different, maybe because it works better for every member of your family, I want to encourage you to do that too. My my oldest daughter, Emily, and her husband, Brian, uh, did that for many years. They got uh, married in 2014, and Brian's family were really dialed into the Christmas Eve services at Saddleback Church, where he grew up. And Emily was dialed into our church, Lutheran Church of the Cross. And so they split the difference. They'd come to the early service at LCC, and then they'd go later to Saddleback. And it was kind of wonderful, you know, to put all that stuff together. So I, uh, you know, I encourage you to do that. But, you know, I'll tell you, there's something about those services and something about being a part of a church where there's that consistency. You keep saying the same people and you know, singing a lot of the same hymns and stuff. I mean, I realize now I'm 61 years old and I spent half my life at Lutheran Church of the Cross. I spent 30 years there and I spent, uh, let's see, another 20 at Lake Hills Community Church, which is no more, now it's Crossline. Um, And so I I don't have, that's why I encourage people move around a lot. But I have tremendous respect for people who will get into a church situation and, uh, and stay with it. Uh, which brings us to our final Good News Friday story about a woman who, uh, who who just is the 
quintessential uh, servant of the Lord in a capacity that is often overlooked and someone who just, you know, took the position on and did so. Eileen Jones is her name. She is the organist at a church called Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Britton, Michigan, B-R-I-T-T-O-N. She, according to the Reverend David McCarty, who's the pastor of Emmanuel Church, who's worked with her for uh, eight years now, he said, Eileen is the epitome of a faithful servant of the Lord. This church is my first congregational call, and Eileen's support and encouragement, along with that of so many others, has helped me enormously. She always has the attitude, to God be the glory. I, Dr. McCarty says, um, have been greatly blessed in serving this dear saint. Now, I want to put this in perspective as to why her can-do-to-the-glory-of-God attitude is, is important. This past summer, Emmanuel Lutheran Church recognized Eileen Jones for serving as the church's organist for 70 years. She is 86 years young. It was back in 1949 when Eileen Jones was presented with this, uh, confronted with a, com- uh, a, a dilemma. At the age of 16, she had studied piano for a couple of years, but she had never played an organ before. The regular organist asked her if she could fill in one Sunday. Uh, she showed me a few things, Jones said. At the time, Emmanuel was at a different location. It had an electronic organ that had only one keyboard and no pedals except for the volume pedal. You know, if you see a big pipe organ or whatever, they've got four or five different keyboards. They've got pedals. They've got the different ranks and the pipes and stuff. It's, a, it's quite the ordeal. This one was a little bit easier to get. So basically, she was asked to fill in one Sunday. I love this. This, this happens at churches all the time. I have a friend, uh, Pastor Ken Whitney at uh, Reformation Lutheran Church at Westminster. And Ken likes to use the term, he says, nobody gets volunteered at the church, they get voluntold. Eileen Jones, at the age of 16, was asked by the regular organist if she could fill in one Sunday. And 70 years later, she's still at that church playing the, the organ every Sunday. The church did eventually get a new organ. She and her father traveled with the other organist and her father to Grinnell Brothers Music House in Toledo, Ohio. They looked at a Hammond organ that had a full pedal board. And so she started taking lessons from a local teacher who met with her every Sunday afternoon at church. She rode her bike two and a half miles during the week, each way from her house to the church to practice. She talked to other organists of the area, wanted to learn more about being an organist, paid for the music out of her own pocket. She used to play for the joy of the Lord, but later they started paying her. One dollar per service. She played that Hammond organ for 35 years. And then in 1985, she led a campaign to purchase a new organ. During her time as Emmanuel's chief musician, Eileen Jones also organized campaigns to purchase handbells and chimes. She wound up getting a handbell choir together. She directed vocal choirs. In the middle of this, though, let's not forget the fact that she did get married She did work a full-time job and raised three children in addition to doing things besides being the organist at the church. Uh, She said, sometimes Sunday mornings are unpredictable. 
Sometimes the pastor will skip something and you have to hurry and jump to the right page. Then he might go back and do what he missed. Um, one time she said, you got to expect the unexpected. She was playing at a wedding and she said, I was ready to play the bridal march. But uh, then we realized that the we had to keep playing and keep playing because the bride's mother hadn't arrived. So I wound up playing 30 minutes of music that I hadn't planned on playing <laughs> just to cover for her. Oh, Eileen Jones just sounds like a real joy. Um, she eventually uh, retired and uh, she's no longer playing the organ now. Her daughter, Carolyn Reitz, is, a, is playing two Sundays a month at uh, the Emmanuel. And by the way, this is a great thing. Since Eileen is now 86, her daughter has actually retired from teaching and is working on helping out. They're looking for a full-time replacement for her. But uh, Eileen Jones, what a great legacy. Whatever you do, Colossians 3.23 says, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. So a tip of the cap to Eileen Jones. Christmas Eve will not be the same at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Britain, Michigan, because Eileen has finally stepped down after 70 years of being the fill-in organist at her church. Let me tell you why this is so special on the other side of the break as the bottom line continues. You know, one of the things I love about the ministry of preborn is that in addition to the the actual practical things that we talk about, the fact that women come in for a free ultrasound and a free pregnancy test, and once they see that ultrasound, 83% of the time, a woman who sees the ultrasound and hears the baby's heartbeat for the first time is going to say, that's my son, that's my daughter, I can't wait to be a mom. Or they're going to say, wow, that is a baby that's just so beautiful, and I can't wait to release this child for adoption. Now, obviously, there's a third option that's legal in the People's Republic of California. But the beautiful thing about preborn is more hearts and minds are being changed by simply showing mom and dad the image of the baby. But it's more than just that. Of the 56,000 pregnancy tests that were given last year, of the 25,000 babies saved at preborn clinics just through the first six months of this year, do you know how many women are also giving their hearts to Jesus Christ? Nearly 200 women per week. That's over nearly five, more than 5,000 decisions for Christ this year alone. Pro-life, pro-baby, pro-mom, pro-gospel. We're saving more than just babies. We're saving souls with preborn. Your $28 donation makes that happen for one child. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-2229. Call now. Good News Friday edition wrapping up for this week here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Eileen Jones has been in the spotlight for us. This is a woman who at the age of 86 recently retired from serving as the organist at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Britain, Michigan for 70 years. Played the piano as a 16-year-old. One week, the primary organist asked her if she could fill in. She said, yeah. Do I know how to play the organ? No. Ever use pedals? No. Went ahead and on her own time and on her own dime, took lessons, learned, studied, played whatever came her way, wound up getting married, having three children, worked full-time, still showed up every Sunday as the church organist and for other selected events as well. Started doing this as a volunteer position, then started being paid $1 per service. And now at the age of 86, she is retiring. By the way, Britain, Michigan, population 586. Now we've just devoted 15 minutes and change here on a nationally syndicated radio program to her legacy. She's still very much with us, by the way. The good news about this is, brothers and sisters, I, I want to encourage you, especially for those in their senior years, in your 70s, your 80s, even in your 90s, 
Retirement is not in the Bible. I like what Crown Financial Ministries is doing. They're calling it now repurposing, not retiring. Take a look at the ways that God has gifted you and the ways that you can, in fact, show your gifts and use your talents as unto the Lord and let him take over. Let him work in and through you. Lord God, I pray for every member of our listening audience today, regardless of what season in life they're in, from those of their teens, 20s, and 30s, all the way up through their 90s. And Father, I pray that you would help us to never grow weary in doing good, to never grow tired of answering your call to do all of our work as unto you, but especially during this holiday season where we celebrate the birth of Christ at Christmas. Please help us to remember, Father, that we can be instruments of your peace and your grace and your mercy and love, if only we'll say yes. That it's so much easier to pick up our cross and follow you than it is to try to carry our cross through the world that doesn't understand what the cross is all about. You know what that burden's like. You've given us this yoke. You made it custom for us, so it's a perfect fit. Not only for us physically, but emotionally and spiritually and vocationally. Thank you for Eileen Jones and what a great testimony she shares. Simply by showing up, playing the songs, worshiping you with the organ, with the handbell, with the choirs that she's directed over the years. And Father, I pray for everyone who is facing those later years in life and wondering, how may I still be of service? Father, give us tasks to do to magnify your name so that as the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, that people will see our good works and then turn the glory over to you for what they're seeing you do through us. In the precious and powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, and all God's people said, amen and amen. I love the fact that Paul reminds us that the Lord loves a cheerful giver. That doesn't just mean people who are happy to put money in the plate. Giving of our time, talents, and treasures. Doing so cheerfully from the heart as unto the Lord. That's the key. And that's the bottom line.